Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. On this week's episode, we will be talking about oil in California. California could become the nation's leading oil producer, at least as far as many indications go, in, including, the, uh, including the Energy Information Agency of our Department of Energy. We're going to hear more about that in a second. Uh, I'm very excited about this, both because I would like the state in which I live in to become much more prosperous than it is right now, or uh, overall not a prosperous state, or at least in some sense we're a bankrupt uh, state. And also I'm excited because there's an ongoing controversy right now over whether this should be allowed to happen. Now, I'm certainly not excited that that's a controversy, but I'm excited that it hasn't been resolved yet. So this is really an opportunity to learn the facts and to get involved and we could really, really do something good that would change the fate of this state and really change the fate of the country because California is such an influential state. If we can get a truly progressive pro-energy policy in this state with regard to hydraulic fracturing, that would be an enormous, enormous boon. And on the show to talk about this will be an expert from Energy in Depth, which I've probably mentioned in the past is my favorite source of information uh, about shale oil and gas technology, energyindepth.org, and it will be Dave Quast, who is the California director. He's a local. He's from Los Angeles. I'm in Orange County, uh, and he will be answering all of my questions about fracking in California. So stick around, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Power Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. We're now joined by Dave Quast, who is the California Director of Energy in Depth. Dave, welcome to Power Hour, and did I get your name right? You did, and thanks so much. It's good to be here. All right. So uh, you told me before the show you're in L.A. I'm in Orange County, and there's a lot not to be happy about being a citizen of California. Um, but there is, I think, a lot to be excited about in terms of uh uh, shale technology. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what is, what is the opportunity that we have here in California? Well, in California, we're sitting on top of right now what federal estimates um, claim to be about 63% of the oil reserves in the United States. Um, they estimate that there's about 15.4 billion barrels of oil that underlie what's called the Monterey Shale, which essentially stretches through the California Central Valley from Los Angeles County all the way up to um, almost to Sacramento. So it's an enormous potential opportunity. Uh, now, just in terms of clear terminology, uh, is this reserves? Is this economic reserves, like economically recoverable? What's, what's, the, what's the status of these? Because obviously there has the actual, been a lot the of The actual hydrogen um, 
you know, resource is considerably higher, but th this is what's been estimated um, that's actually economically recoverable. So it is quite an opportunity, and I'm actually not sure I'm as pessimistic as you are, and we can we can get into that. Um, but yeah, it's it's an exciting time, um, certainly fraught with some dangers, as you know. Um, but there 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 are really there are really great chances to really turn things around, both in the state and as you know around the world, with you know with the opportunities that there are to um, to develop here. Sorry, do you mean pessimistic about California or pessimistic about the, the potential? Uh, pessimistic about, I think, the, the landscape in California from a legislative and a regulatory point of view. I mean, I think a lot of people view this as sort of the bluest of blue states, which it may be, but I think people think that means that we're probably leading the way in trying to hamper um, the energy industry, whereas you know, we, this is one of the top energy-producing states in the country, and we have a long tradition of economic growth and a robust and viable energy industry that's been coupled with some of the most stringent environmental restrictions um, in the country. And I think actually the wind is blowing in a direction where um, it's quite likely that'll continue and that that future is going to involve shale and it's going to involve hydraulic fracturing. But we'll have to wait and see, of course. Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. And I wouldn't call myself pessimistic in that sense, particularly because it's I consider it my job to help liberate these energy sources. So it would be a, uh, a bit of a contradiction. But let's, let's talk about the rich energy history. What is, what is the relationship between California and particularly the oil industry? Well, I mean, the first oil wells were drilled in California back in the 1850s um, up in Humboldt County. And it's been really um, one of the backbones of this state. It's really one of the industries that built this state um, into the economic powerhouse that it is today. So, you know, from the, from, you know, the black gold era to, you know, I mean, there are, people don't realize that there are um, pump jacks in backyards in Beverly Hills and have been for decades. And, you know, you drive through certain areas of Los Angeles um, through one of the largest urban oil fields in the country, field in the country, and you see, and down in Long Beach for sure, and you see oil and gas development going, going on side by side with, um, very livable communities and very economically robust communities. So it's really something that we've lived with for a long time, and it's just part of the fabric of California. Yeah, I find it I find it frustrating that even many of the, the local citizens don't seem to appreciate that, especially if they don't happen to live right next to a pump jack. I remember visiting Long Beach a couple. Uh, I was just at a McDonald's in Long Beach a couple years ago, and there was a jack just right next to the McDonald's. Like it was just built into the. Uh, into the parking lot, and there, um, you know, why, why do you think it is that that most people don't know? I mean, most people don't know about the oil rigs in Beverly Hills, um, including the ones that are inside, uh, you know, building structures. That's true. There, there's there's one inside the Beverly Center. Um, I think people don't know because I think oil, you know, people who are developing oil and gas try to keep, uh, for aesthetic reasons and for reasons of noise and everything else. I mean, they try to keep the the activity from being um, from the, probably from being you know, extremely visible, but places like, like you say, like Long Beach, or, and I know that McDonald's actually, or Signal Hill, or certainly most of Kern County, you know, the people who live next to oil and gas, the reason that the polls show that they consistently are the most supportive of increased oil and gas development, um, I don't think it's just the economic benefits. I think it's, they realize that it's, it's an activity that doesn't have the negative environmental consequences that people claim. And I think the people who live outside of those areas are much more um, much more receptive to some of the fear mongering that some of the anti-industry activists um, try to try to engage in. I mean, for example, 
as you know, Marin County, um, very wealthy county, um, very liberal county just north of San Francisco, just passed a moratorium on hydraulic fracturing. And that's interesting because there's no oil and gas development that happens in Marin County. So um, it's, it's a nice luxury for a county that has 5.3% unemployment to pass a moratorium on something that doesn't happen in its borders. Um, whereas, you know, in Kern County, where 80 or 90% say the hydraulic fracturing happens in the state, the folks are extremely supportive of not only the, the process and the industry in general, but want it to, want it to be more robust and to continue it occurs to me that, I mean, given that it's the opposite of familiarity breeds contempt, it's familiarity breeds appreciation for those people who live uh, among and around, uh, you know, different, uh, different oil fields. What can we do to, to somehow give them more publicity or to, to allow them to share their, uh, their experience? I mean, Kern County, I think, is a great example because that's one of the sort of the most technologically impressive uh, oil development stories of all time in terms of how long drilling has been going on there. Uh, it just seems like there's, there's a missed rhetorical opportunity to somehow allow these people to share their experiences and to de-demonize fracking. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And that's certainly one thing that Energy in Depth um, is trying to do, um, not only in, you know, using our own devices, but in, in working with local people, local business people, local um, career development people, you know, all, all the kind of folks who will benefit and be able to help, um, help spread the word about what this means for their communities to other people outside of those communities who don't understand it, um, you know, is, is something that's a really important project, I think. And I think the message is starting to get across. Um, when you see, you know, out here in California, we have a super majority of Democrats in our legislature. So you don't need a single Republican vote to pass anything. Um, Republican here being in a way a stand-in for folks probably more likely, at least intuitively, to some people to support the industry. And there were 12 bills introduced um, last session that would in some ways have either hampered or basically shut down um, for all intents and purposes our oil and gas industry. And many of those included uh, moratoriums on hydraulic fracturing. And it's telling that the one that got the most publicity and actually got endorsed by the Los Angeles Times only got 24 votes in the, the state assembly out of um, an, an 80 member body. So I think that the message is getting out there. I think the folks are starting to take a second look at the things they're being told by activists and are starting to question maybe their assumptions and are letting their elected officials know that, um, that they care about economic growth, they care about jobs, and, and they care about, for sure, environmental protection, but they realize, wait a minute, if this has been happening for 60 years and you know, we have the, the clean environment that we have, um, then maybe, maybe they're being sold a bill of goods. So to what extent do you think it's direct communication with the officials versus communication with the voters who then voice their views to the officials? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's certainly a lobbying, you know, effort that happens, which is something that's independent of us. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that there is that, but you know, a lot of it I do think comes from the grassroots. And I think it's really important to, because that's where activists, you know, strike. It's very easy to scare people. It's much easier to scare people than to educate them in a more sober way. You know, when you, when you live in a state that has a lot of geological faulting, for example, or that has lots of traffic and, you know, huge population as we do, and, you know, there's lots of, lots of reasons to have environmental concerns. And then you tell people who are parents that, gee, you're, your air and your water might be in danger. That's, that's a good reason to get people to sit up and notice. And if I believed 
you know, if I didn't know what I know and I believe some of the rhetoric I hear coming out of the, the other side, I would, I'd be scared too. So I think that you have to go talk to people directly and I think you have to use the media. You have to use um, opportunities to speak up at the, at the meetings they go to and at their rallies and, and things of that nature because otherwise um, the other side, which doesn't quite play by the same rules of <laughs> scientific rigor, um, can easily, easily um, drown you out. All right. So energy in depth is the site that I refer people to most often uh, in terms of just getting getting the facts about hydraulic fracturing and, and other energy related technologies, because it's, it's just incredibly comprehensive and, uh, and, and rigorous. And given that you're a representative, uh, I want to just look at the issue that is unfortunately huge, even though it shouldn't be, which is uh, fracking and groundwater, since it just continues to be a source of confusion. And we'll start it from the perspective of when people think of uh, fracking, if they even know what it is, almost the first association is, oh my gosh, it might harm groundwater. And knowing how fracking works, that seems to be a really weird assumption given how far away it takes from groundwater. What, why is there this association in the first place? Well, the association is, I think it, honestly it stems largely from the extremist you know, activist groups that want to shut down oil and gas full stop. So there's not a desire really to make sure that hydraulic fracturing or fracking is safe or that it doesn't contaminate groundwater because it doesn't. And there's never been a case where it's been shown that it has. And I've been on panels with activists who've been forced to admit that. And in fact, even Josh Fox, who made the incredibly irresponsible movie Gasland, has actually admitted that the actual process of hydraulic fracturing hasn't contaminated groundwater. But it's very easy to get people to become scared that something might happen. You know, I, I get asked the question by journalists frequently, can you guarantee the safety of um, air and water and, you know, f hydraulic fracturing in general um, for, you know, for the, for the future? And, of course, you can't prove a negative that you always have to be careful in an industrial process that you, you take precautions and that you abide by regulations and that um, that you try to mitigate any potential harms because mistakes occur from time to time. But the groundwater thing is particularly puzzling. Um, as I always point out, if, if you just think about it for a couple of minutes, if you're injecting fluid, what is often miles below the ground, and often the, the kind of cartoon depictions, you know, the drawings of the process don't really give a sense of scale. And you're putting these fluids into formations of shale a couple miles below the ground where hydrocarbons were trapped for millions of years. And this is under billions of tons of impermeable rock. It's just kind of amazing to think that there are those who are trying to sell the notion that somehow these fluids can migrate upward, not, not to mention that they're defying gravity, which they can't do even here at the surface, that they can migrate upward through these billions of tons of rock. So it's just, it's, it's rather nonsensical and a fanciful idea that people get really scared. And of course, there have been um, people who claim groundwater contamination, but every time regulators look at those instances, they're found um, to not be related to hydraulic fracturing. Well, let's then look at so it's an interesting question that you get asked. Interestingly, bad I think this idea of can you guarantee because it seems to imply that well every every process that we use to date poses no threat or risk to groundwater whatsoever, and in this new process allegedly fracking it somehow is a threat to groundwater. But I mean, what's what's the actual state of risks to groundwater posed by a number of different other processes that have nothing to do with fracking? Well, I, I mean, the premise of your question is, is, is absolutely correct. I mean, there are, 
there is potential for harm to groundwater or any other kinds of harm um, from, from any number of processes that go on when you're dealing with complex industrial, um, industrial production of, of almost anything. I mean, for example, lots of wastewater is, is created by many of the industries in California, um, you know, silicon chip manufacturing, for example, and that wastewater is disposed of in underground wells and nobody is, nobody is agitating for new regulations or, you know, a, a big scandal involving the disposal of wastewater from, say, silicon chip manufacturing. But it's a huge issue for some, or they're trying to make it a huge issue on, with hydraulic fracturing because it's the oil and gas industry. So it just comes down to the oil and gas industry being, being an industry that um, certain activists just don't want to, um, don't want to really continue. I mean, they, they want to turn off our use of fossil fuels tomorrow and think that somehow we can have a viable energy future without, um, without natural gas and without um, the fossil fuels we develop here being part of the transition to, to a more renewable energy future. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, there's an issue of whether renewable is, I mean, that's a desirable thing at all in terms of something that you just use forever and it's repeatable. But if it's yeah. economically inferior, I don't think it's, uh, it's desirable. And I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that those will ever be the most desirable uh, mm -hmm. technology, especially as, as technology evolves. But going back, I think I thought your example was really great of the, the wastewater um, and it seems like that kind of, in my experience, that kind of example is very powerful to people because they've, because it, it, it shows that there's just, there's a challenge that every industry faces in terms of health and safety and that the oil industry or the oil and gas industry does an amazingly good job versus this idea that every, that it's, that the groundwater is just perfectly safe, except if we let this new alien industry come in. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and people forget, and uh, that's largely because a lot of activists have been telling outright um, lies about it, that this is an incredibly heavily regulated industry, both at the federal level and at the state level. And many, many industries um, that, that are many industrial you know, industries, and those are, and the, the point of that is when you have a problem, there are regulations in place and processes in place to mitigate them so that the problem doesn't end up being larger than it is and so that it's contained. And so that if you do have, say, a, a rare well casing issue where something leaks, you, you stop it at the source and you take care of it. And, you know, people, I think, are under the impression that this is sort of the Wild West and that these regulations don't exist. And I even saw... I was looking yesterday um, at a poll that was done by um, USC and the LA Times, which should be a pretty, um, pretty reliable poll. And in one of its questions about fracking, it even said um, fracking is regulated at the federal level, but is unregulated at the state level. What are your views about further regulation of hydraulic fracturing at the state level? And I was amazed that 19% of people said there shouldn't be more regulation. I would have thought it would be much higher because they were told it was unregulated. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, that we need to correct, and um, I, I think people don't fully appreciate the safety record that you alluded to. Um, another, another good example, actually, with regard to hydraulic fracturing is um, the issue of seismicity, or induced seismicity, or the possibility of earthquakes. That comes up a lot with the opponents of, of hydraulic fracturing. And, you know, it's worth thinking about, because we live in California, which is one of the most geologically um, challenging um, states 
when it comes to earthquake faults. And it says a lot about the safety record of the oil and gas industry and the care that the scientists who work for it take that in all the years and decades that we've been developing oil and gas with hydraulic fracturing, that there's never been a seismic event that you could feel on the surface anyway associated with the process. So that, that's an incredible safety record. It's also interesting, though. So there, there is an issue of, of definitely the ethics of the industry, and there's an issue of, of the law. Although there, I think, especially given what's proposed in California, there's very much the issue of treating companies as guilty until proven innocent, and and regulations that actually impede the pursuit of safe, affordable, reliable energy. Lost my train of thought for a second. Um, let's see. Sorry, what was the last the last thing you said? You made a really interesting point. And I just distracted from it. I was just looking at the issue of potential earthquakes caused by um, oh, oil and right, gas. Right. Right. So I think just of, sort of showing that that's that's a really good example of how how responsible and how safe the industry operates. And that though people try to stir up fears about it, it's actually never happened here in California. Um, and this is the state that I think people routinely would worry about the most being potential being a potential um, earthquake danger. And it's just not something that's that's been a problem here. But it also seems to point to the just inherent in the technology is not these massive negative likelihoods that that people say because I, I don't it's I mean if you mention the inability to cause a seismic event that you can feel at the surface and of course any like a truck driving down the road can cause a quote seismic event from a certain uh, from a certain perspective but. There is this issue that there are just the nature of the technology is not to cause large earthquakes, which I think is different from something like geothermal energy, which can more likely uh, cause a seismic event that you can feel. And it seems like there's a parallel with the groundwater. The, a, yeah. yes, people are responsible, but B, it's really far away and it's separated by impermeable rock. And this, this leads me to a question that I have that you don't have to answer, but I'm, I'm interested in it, which is like, what... If, if someone really wanted to, like, if, an, if someone drilling, leaving not just the fracking part, but the whole process, if they really wanted to contaminate the groundwater, what, what would they have to do? It just doesn't seem like it would be that easy to cause a really big problem, even if you, you wanted to, let alone in the course of events. Well, you know, I'm I'm not an engineer or a, or a geologist, so I, I don't know that I could I could answer that definitively. But I I I certainly share your sense that that would be a really difficult thing to do. Um, certainly, with um, you know, you just said something I think really important about about induced seismicity. I mean, Mark Zoback, who is a geophysicist and he's an advisor, a former advisor to the Secretary of Energy, on on issues related to hydraulic fracturing, has said that the amount of energy released by a fracturing job is equivalent to a gallon of milk falling off the kitchen counter. And that's why you just don't get felt seismic events from hydraulic fracturing. And I think it's those kind of analogies, and I'm putting it into real terms, just like when you describe the process as being, you know, so far down under the ground, under impermeable rock, people start to visualize and understand, oh, yeah, the technology itself just doesn't really lend itself to this, this, the kind of damage that people are claiming. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a really useful way to look at it. Um, it I mean, maybe this is also too too geological uh, a question or hydrological a question, but I wonder with so so let's take let's take issues where you do have groundwater contamination and that it's important that that can happen from any number of things. I mean, if you had a bad casing, it could happen, but even I think just you know when you're drilling underground, doing things underground, things can get in the water that you don't want to get in the water. How often are those like? 
contained problems versus massive problems, because I never hear about any groundwater epidemic anywhere from any industrial technology in the United States anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we have a very robust regulatory regime and reporting um, regime. So, you know, when there, when there are problems, you know, that's under the purview in California, for example, of the Division of Oil, Gas, and Geothermal Resources. And, you know, they, working with industry, make sure that, you know, when there are problems, that they don't become, you know, epidemics and that they don't, you know, one, one little mistake, I mean, there's no little mistake, there shouldn't be any, but, you know, one casing failure or, or problem with one um, well doesn't cause um, contamination that's going to impact the broader population. So it's, it's worked well, and the reason we don't hear about these things is, is because they don't happen very often at all. And if they did, believe me, we'd hear about them. I mean, the, the radical environmentalists are just chomping at the bit to try to get evidence of groundwater contamination. And if they ever got it, um, they, you know, we wouldn't hear the end of it. But even they admit that they can't get it. So, I mean, in, I guess this, this must this must vary with with different uh, different locations. But um, let, let's say in you know Pennsylvania, certain people have uh, you know a bunch of methane in their groundwater, and that mm -hmm. happens through perfectly natural causes. What what is the potential or lack thereof of migration? Because I think sometimes people think something happens in one you know, piece of water, and then everyone's groundwater is going to be contaminated. Of course, if that was the case, then everything would just be diluted to, to nothing. But how, how do these problems flow when they exist? Well, I'm not an expert on, on, on those issues. Um, you know, I just know that where there have been alleged, well, first of all, where there have been alleged issues of hydraulic fracturing having anything to do with, with methane getting into water that you know, could be lit on fire, for example, which is always the, the sort of hyperbolic um, thing pointed to from the, the Gasland movie. Um, when people have claimed that those things have been caused by hydraulic fracturing, regulators have, have gone in and looked and have, have said that they weren't, um, particularly in, in Gasland specifically. Um, the, the Colorado regulators definitively said that, that the, the methane in that water was caused by drilling through some coal seams and it, it didn't have anything to do with, with hydraulic fracturing. And actually, just as an aside, in the second Gasline movie, there's someone who lights his hose on fire, and it turns out that the film's director actually plugged the hose into a gas, um, gas line rather than a water line. So a lot of disingenuousness going on around that issue. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as migration, to your point, I mean, it, first of all, dilution would happen, and second of all, it's just that's not something that I think has been, has been terribly widespread, and, and it's, again, a regulated a regulated thing. Uh, part of the reason I bring this up is because it is true that that there is no uh, proven case of, of contamination from fracking for the reasons that we mentioned. But I think one, if that's stressed too much, there's this implication that if something went wrong, it would be the we would all have poison water, and thus it's this, you know, it might be this very very small probability, but it's this probability mm -hmm. of a of a you know hydro Armageddon versus yeah. no, it's not. It's nothing resembling that. It's a if it was a probability, it's a probability of something that happens normally. Although, unfortunately, with with any kind of industrial technology that is uh, crossing boundaries with the groundwater. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I think that's a really good point, and something you know, those of us who communicate about this should should bear in mind. Um, you know, to talk about the the realities of what happens when there are 
when there are problems in not necessarily with fracking, but at any point in the in the process, you know what what it means to have a small amount of water contaminated and how that that problem is fixed. I think that's a good point. I mean, in some ways, it's you know when you say there have been no cases of something happening, that can sound like hyperbole, and yeah, and that and to some people, you know, and to some opponents, that just sounds like um, you know an extreme statement, um, but you know, it just happens to be true. And so it's something we need to, we need to keep reinforcing with people um, that it's so unlikely to happen that in fact it hasn't um, in any way that's ever been scientifically shown. But, um, you know, nevertheless, we still need to mitigate and have, have rules and make sure companies are following procedures that ensure that it can't happen in any way happen. And, you know, even with that, there are still problems um, sometimes in other ways, not with, hydraulic fracturing necessarily, and those things get get mitigated at the source. So you're right. We do need to put it in perspective for people that we're not one one instance away from some catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, Josh, I think, has contributed to this. Uh, in He wants it both ways because he wanted to become a fortunate, you know, famous and help destroy industrial civilization, I think, uh, in the process by acting as if fracking, you know, this kind of very powerful word is this new and scary technology that is its own full process that is endangering everything. Um, he wanted, and so he needed to use the word for that, even though what he's actually against is, is drilling, is drilling for oil and, you know, any kind of fossil fuel production or even nuclear production. Um, so then, you know, he had this debate with Thomas Pyle a while back online where he'll, he uses this refrain, yeah, I acknowledge that the fracking process itself isn't doing it, but the drilling of which the fracking is part of, that can go wrong. You can't deny that. Yeah, of course, but you didn't make a movie called Drill Land. I mean, you, you right. didn't, if, if it was, if Josh just said, oh, I'm against drilling, like this thing that's, mm -hmm. that fuels all of civilization, I think we should stop doing it because something mm -hmm. could go wrong. No one would say, oh, that's big news. Let me give you an award. For that so it's it's they're using this like the novelty of the term to act as if it's this scary technology so it's important for us i think to put it on the level of this is this is an aspect of of you know an improved aspect of drilling technology that's becoming more advanced um and it's this it's this person is obviously trying to score points by singling this out because it's new even though this is the aspect that's the least likely to affect groundwater, but we do defend drilling and we do it very safely. And we, if we ever make a mistake, which is rare, we, you know, we rectify it as well as any industry. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and Josh says this um, more and more. I think he's he's been caught on the record a few times, so he, he realizes he has to own it, which is just that he's completely against fossil fuel development and fracking is a stand-in. You know, he'll absolutely say that. Okay, I. You're right. You know, this hasn't actually directly contaminated groundwater, but everything else about it, you know, we, we should call drilling fracking. We should call, you know, other types of well completion fracking. We should, you know, the whole process. And to your point, you know, people need to understand too that hydraulic fracturing isn't even part of the drilling process. It's a well completion technology that happens after the drilling happened, you know, has occurred, after the rig is gone. And here in California, it's a much different process actually than it is back east um in ways that are less i guess scary to use the you know the terminology that the activists might um it only takes a day or two and it, you know it's something that's done quickly it happens once it's gone and that's it and, it, and people just have real misconceptions they talk about people drilling fracking wells all over 
all over Southern California, and it's just a not that common here. Um, it, it's just not done very much because of our geology. Um, companies tend to choose other well completion techniques than hydraulic fracturing in in many cases. About a quarter of the wells that were um, drilled last year in California were hydraulically fractured, and the, the percentage in the east, um, for example, is much much higher. Um, also, horizontal drilling, which is actually an incredibly um, incredibly neat and an effective and environmentally even more sound technology um, than than the kind of standard vertical drilling that's, that that you, that used to happen, where you can take a strata of, of shale, say, and you can drill it several miles underground in a horizontal direction. Um, that doesn't happen here much either um, because of the, the complex geological faulting and things like that. So you know we do sort of vertical hydraulic fracturing more than anything else, and we don't do it very much. And most of it also, by the way, maybe 90% of it occurs in Kern County, away from population centers, and where there's no potable groundwater to begin with. So it, you know, it's a real misnomer that it's something that's going on. For example, in Los Angeles, it's just very minimal in Los Angeles, if at all. You know, it, there was the Los Angeles City Council yesterday, um, two members of it announced that they wanted to pass a moratorium on hydraulic fracturing in Los Angeles. Um, you know, that's almost like Marin County doing it. It's just not something that's um, that's done terribly much, and it's certainly nothing to be concerned about. Uh, so I, I appreciate your point about about it being well completion versus drilling. So really, even the broader opposition by Josh, et cetera, is to oil production. That is to yeah. getting, is to, you know, creating value by transforming oil underground into you know useful fuel and, and petroleum products, and I think it's then important to just really stress that these are just these are just technology these are just sub technologies of the process of producing oil. And if you see with what they call acidizing now, you know, which is just a method of dissolving rock to get oil out of it, now uh, this is another quote new technology, right? Uh, and it mm-hmm. uses acid. And how dare you use acid? As if I mean, what that's like half the half the pH table. So you can't use acid for anything. Um, but it, it's now the latest fear mongering. It's the, and I, I saw some story calling it dropping acid. So it's, yep. it's this, uh, I think it's just very important for us to just be clear. Look, what we're in favor of is oil production. We have all of these amazing technologies. We can open up rock by fracturing it. We can dissolve it using certain acidic compounds. And this is, this is great. And it's, it's safer it's safer than ever. And the people who are just taking these words, like taking frack out of hydraulic fracturing and acidizing out of this process, I mean, they're just technophobes. Right. No, I think that's right. They're just Luddites. And they're really trying to take us to uh, a future that, first of all, won't exist like they think like they think it will exist and they imagine it will um, using these renewable energy sources. And it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, they're they're already talking now a lot about you know, beyond fracking, you know, acidizing being the new, being the new um, kind of scare word, um, because you know people think acid and they think about you know all sorts of horrible things, whereas you know people put it into swimming pools. You know, it's it's all about it's all about context, and we, they can't talk about just drilling because I think people at least in California understand drilling has gone on for a hundred years, and drilling itself is what helps us heat our homes and cool our homes and, you know, get, make our cars go and things of that nature. So, you know, drilling is, is sort of off the table. So they're trying to get at it um, in other ways and effectively shut down the industry by shutting down the means to actually produce the hydrocarbons to begin with. So it's, it's, it, it's 
too bad. Um, in California, of course, it's sort of been the front line of, of, of the effort because we are considered, I think, such a bellwether state um, and one that might be ideologically predisposed to buy the activists, um, buy what the activists are selling. But, you know, I said I was a little optimistic at the beginning, and I, I do want to point out that I think we've been fortunate, and I've said a few times, if you would have told me when I got my start in politics that I'd be, that I'd be touting um, Jerry Brown's environmental views, I, I might have been surprised. But Governor Brown, who's you know, certainly known as one of the absolute leading, leaning proponents of, um, uh, you know, of environmental causes and of even renewable energy and so on, has been very sober, I think, in this debate. And he said, you know, the scientists at Dogger, the Division of Oil and Gas, and, you know, the scientists that advise me are the people that are going to be making policy. This is not going to be an ideological bandwagon that we're going to get on, as he put it. And, you know, the folks who are doing the regulating have made very clear that this has been a safe process in California and that it should continue. And now we're just looking at ways to make it a bit more transparent, to make sure that the concerns of the public are addressed, but that it's much preferable to continue with a robust oil and gas industry than to put a moratorium on it. And Senator Dianne Feinstein even came out yesterday and, um, and said the same thing. So, you know, fortunately, um, it seems to you know, the support for the industry seems to be a bipartisan issue here in California. And we just need to keep making sure that, um, that, that the facts are getting out there and that the kind of extreme groups that are, that are fighting us and, you know, kind of the Josh Fox followers, the Food and Water Watches, the Center for Biological Diversity, and the folks that are spreading misinformation um, aren't allowed to get the upper hand. Yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate Jerry Brown, as he used to be called Jerry Brownout uh, back, in, back in the day, has said at least semi-positive things. It's still, I still find it obscene that, of all things, hydraulic fracturing is regarded as a, talk, as a fundamentally toxic technology because this just relative to other things, it's, it's not. And even by itself, it's unbelievably uh, safe. So I want to step back and just ask, like, for, forget about the different proposals on the table now, but what, what are the key laws that are just necessary for safe oil production in California and other states? Well, I think, you know, it's important for people to have a sense that there's, um, for example, regulations or rules on, on monitoring, you know, processes as they're occurring, um, that, that people are very, you know, very careful to, to keep, to keep careful, to keep careful, um, careful record about what's going on to make sure that they're reporting, you know, activities to, to the state regulatory body so they know what's happening, um, that there are public disclosures, um, that there are as, as much as possible that there's transparency. And, and this is, this is sort of a new thing. I mean, as your listeners might know, um, there's a website called frackfocus.org, which is where um, the oil and gas producers have been voluntarily disclosing the the um, the constituents of the fracturing fluid that they've been injecting into into individual into individual wells, so that people can understand that you know these are 99.5% water and sand and a few other few other chemicals that are half of one percent of this uh, this sort of cocktail that that are designed to help prevent you know, erosion and things like that to help keep the well safer. Um, and, you know, one of the things that people have talked about and that I think Dogger is probably going to propose as a rule and something the industry supports is mandatory disclosure of these fluids to, just to make sure that there's more light shown on the process and that so that the public has full information and can understand fracturing better. 
because the industry's view is that the more people know about hydraulic fracturing, um, for all the reasons we've been talking about today and more, the more people know, the less scary it is. <clears throat> so to the extent that some of those things become mandatory, that were voluntary, you know, I think is a direction that, um, that everyone's comfortable moving. Um, you know, certainly you want to make sure that there are rules on um, well casing, um, well monitoring after um, fracturing happens, um, the storing and the handling of hydraulic fracturing fluids, um, things like that. And, and those things don't necessarily even have to be rel relative to hydraulic fracturing. I mean, you want to make sure you do have rules about fluid handling, for example, that, that don't have anything to do with hydraulic fracturing, because that accounts for a very, very small percentage of, of any, any fluid um, disposal issues that arise out of the industry. So those, those kinds of things. Um, but primarily, I think it's a, it's a question of transparency. One thing that I, I find frustrating and, and seems to be one of the most damaging things about what uh, regu certain regulations can do is just imposing extremely long and arduous permitting processes as if this is a fundamentally toxic technology um, that don't apply to technologies that are of the same risk or even even lesser risk. What's, what's your thought on permitting times? Well, I, I don't. I don't know that I have a specific thought on on times, other than clearly, you know, as you point out, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be outlandishly arduous, and you know, they should make sense. And I think here, I think here in California, this, you know, we we have a we have a division of oil and gas that you know that does its best to to try to encourage both the you know the economic development that the industry provides, and at the same time protect you know public health and safety. So you know that's always a balance and. There are probably issues involving agency resources too that may impact um, may impact those issues. So I, I don't have a real specific idea about that, other than of course we would agree with you that um, that any any um, turnaround time needs to be you know reasonable and needs to not be, be punitive. I would just stress, particularly for the Californians in the audience, but really everyone, that there's a an enormous, I mean, I would say deadly risk of not engaging in these technologies. I mean, in terms of what it means for the California standard of living, whether you're talking about agricultural applications or heating applications, specific applications, but more broadly for the economy. To not do that is to guarantee that we're going to live uh, less prosperous and ultimately shorter and more, more painful lives. So when people hear about, oh, it's so risky, so let's delay it for five months, or especially when you're dealing with many areas that haven't been developed where you need new technology or you need a lot of investment, those are really those are really the risky uh, policies. So it's it's dismaying to see a lot of the discussion around the idea that oh fracking is so risky, but they don't view not fracking as risky. Well, I think I think I couldn't have put it better myself. I think you hit the nail on the head. And you know, people, you know, I thought about this yesterday, watching a couple of actors standing up with LA City Council people calling for a for ban on hydraulic fracturing, having you know driven probably over there in an Escalade. You know, I think people have a sense that, you know, energy development is important for maybe heating their house or maybe putting gas in their car. But then they realize, well, you know, there are electric cars and they don't quite understand where electricity comes from. But, you know, people really don't understand. I mean, even solar panels are going to be made with petroleum. So there's there's a there's a, 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 a level of of um, there's a level of, you know, the oil and gas and you know hydrocarbon production that just permeates everyone's life in a way that I think very few people are um, are aware of, and I think the more the more we can make them aware of that and how how this is incredibly important um, 
to our economy, certainly, but to our very, to your point, to our very, um, our very lives is, is, you know, it's not just a, it's not a question of just doing without a few, a few conveniences. Um, you know, it really is at the moment, the backbone of, of our, of our civilization really. And so, you know, one wishes some of these, you know, extremists could maybe try to live without, without what the, the industry provides them, uh, for a few days or a few weeks, um, you know, to see what that's like. But, um, yeah, you, there is certainly the presumption, I think, in some quarters that um, this, not only this industry, but other industries are guilty before um, proven innocent. Um, hopefully that's something that's not quite as as, uh, as um, common in California, just because we have had such a tradition in a lot of parts of the state, not not all, um, of living and coexisting with, with oil and gas and having it be a very, very positive relationship, um, you know, to for both for the environment and for the communities we live in and for the economy. Um, it's, it's just those places like maybe Marin County or, or, or places where there isn't the development where a lot of the misinformation, I think, really takes hold. You mentioned celebrities. Which, who are the celebrities at the L.A. City Council? Oh, there was, there was an, a TV actor whose name I'm blanking on right now. Um, but there was also Ed Bigley Jr., who you can always count on to show up at things like this um, and, and say ridiculous things. So he was... He was there, and another another actor whose name I forget. <laughs> I should tell I should tell listeners it's it's uh, I have a new project on the side. I, I'm I think I have a decent chance of getting some celebrities together uh, and supporting Shale Energy. So uh, I'm gonna start. I have a Forbes column tomorrow, sort of promoting that. And th- I think there are you know in California we, we we one thing that's great about it is we have so many amazing people and so many high achievers. And I see more and more in terms of commentary, some of those, including in the entertainment world, are, are recognizing that many of the policies that their state is adopting are not consistent with the values that allowed them to become successful. So it's, it's really, for instance, heartening to see someone like Adam Carolla actively say, you know, we need we need to frack. And there are other kinds of Republicans, but they don't have to be Republicans. Just anyone who really cares about the future of the state can see this would be the economic breakthrough that along with the political breakthrough of better policies could move our uh, our state forward. So I'd, any Hollywood people listening to this or who have forwarded this, let's let's get together and, and you know use your voice to promote something that would be amazingly good for, for our generation in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good to know. It's good to hear about that project and I think that would that would certainly help. Um so I just want to give you an opportunity to, to talk a little bit about energy in depth and then refer anyone to any uh, websites because you guys do really great work. And, and I've mentioned on the show before, but, but people should hear about it from you. Well, thank you. Um, well, energy in depth is an education and research project here in California funded by the California independent petroleum association, as well as the independent petroleum association of America. And what we do is we really exist to help, you know, as sort of as I'm doing right now, to help correct the record, help, educate people and help share really the good news about what the country's oil and the state in this case is oil and gas producers are doing and what they contribute to, to everyone's lives. And, you know, certainly in the hydraulic fracturing debate, a large part of what we do is correct the record and is call out, um, call out misleading claims. And so to that, to that end, I do a lot of article writing and, you know, media appearances and panel panel appearances and speeches and things like that. Um, but we do this all over the country. Energy in depth was founded, um, a number of years ago in Washington, D.C., and started at, with some specialized projects in the Marcellus Shale. Um, and we had now have um, dedicated staff people working in 
most of the regions where there is um, energy development going on in the country, so in Texas, in Ohio, in Illinois, um, certainly Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, and here in California, in Colorado and the mountain states as well. So, you know, we're out there trying to trying to tell the good news, and you know, we certain, certainly welcome um, everyone's support. And we're, we're really a good educational resource as well. Our website, which is www.energyindepth.org, has links directly on it to all of the different state projects. So wherever you live around the country, you can find out what's happening in your region and what some of the issues are. You know, we link to a fault. We always link using hyperlinks to to primary sources, to directly to studies, to to what experts and regulators and scientists have said about the issues. And then we also have our own commentary and our own blogs and our own um, updates on a very regular basis, whether on Twitter or Facebook or right on the website, to tell people what's happening with some of the issues they might be reading about in the news. Because in some cases, as you know, um, <laughs> these things aren't always reported about um, accurately. So you know, we're there in real time to make sure we correct the record or, or just to, to further educate people. So again, that's energyindepth.org. And I'd encourage anyone to look at it who's interested in these issues. Yeah, and I, I would just uh, once again emphasize that. I think that just the combination of the real time, uh, the accuracy of it, the attention of primary sources, the uh, geographical uh, diversity, and then also the on-the-ground the engagement with people, which is both effective as communication but also as a source of information. Uh, I mean, in terms of in terms of nonprofits, CIP is a for-profit, so it'll leave us out. But uh, in terms of nonprofits, uh, for my money, you know, I think Energy in Depth uh, does uh, does the best work, and and we use it, and uh, you know, we've worked together a couple of times, and and I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. Well, thanks so much for your support. All right, Dave. Thanks for coming on the show, and we'll be in touch. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks again to Dave Quast for coming on the show. Uh, you already heard me sing the praises of Energy in Depth. Uh, so that's energyindepth.org. Definitely worth uh, checking out. And I think one one possibility that, that came out on the show, or at least one, uh, one trend that I think will happen more and more in the future, is that uh, I'd say the positive, inspirational even approach that we take at CIP and the, the big picture approach in terms of really putting any challenge in context as part of a really heroic quest to improve the world through energy production uh, is combined with all of the factual expertise and, and just knowledge of every intimate detail of organizations like Energy in Depth. So I think we have things to contribute to one another. And I think what that will do over time is lead to a much much improved narrative on everyone's part where we can tell a really powerful story with all the facts with the best you know with the best specific stories uh, possible just make it bulletproof in terms of in terms of the quality uh, of scholarship and then deliver that to all kinds of different audiences from college students at a debate to citizens of a community that's considering uh, you know that's considering developing some new uh, oil or gas uh, to the national media. So uh, just in terms of my, my discussions, not necessarily with energy in depth, but with others, I think there's a, a real interest in telling the story better. And that includes capturing the uh, big picture positive of the story, which is inspirational. And by contrast, capturing the incredibly negative 
big big picture story of the uh, anti-industrialists or anti-humanists, I'd say ultimately, who oppose every form of cheap, plentiful, uh, reliable energy, and who kind of give a phony support to you know the unreliables, solar and wind. So, yeah, thanks to Energy in Depth for that work, and I certainly use them uh, to get better and. Uh, I think I think we can all benefit uh, from their work. Also, check out uh, Forbes.com. Search for for my name, Alex Epstein. If, if, in case anyone listening to the show doesn't know it, but you just search for my name. I have a column there now, and as you're listening to this on on Friday, I'm recording this on Thursday. My new column on hydraulic fracturing in California should come out. Please like that, share it. Particularly if you're in California, if you know any celebrities, definitely share it with them. Uh, I think that this this is an issue, and it's not just for Californians, but just speaking to Californians, this, this could be a turning point. And it's certainly as big an opportunity as I can imagine having in the foreseeable future, and thus not taking it is the most perilous action I can imagine in the foreseeable future. And it's, it's really on the line. So now now is the time to act, and going forward, we'll have some more ways for you uh, to uh, beyond that, just make sure you're checking out our social media pages uh, and then just our regular web pages, industrialprogress.com. Make sure to get on the mailing list, ilovefossilfuels.com. Get on the mailing list, facebook.com slash the pursuit of energy. That's my page. And then facebook.com slash ilovefossilfuels. We have a new lineup, which will be on industrialprogress.com tomorrow, a new lineup of speeches for, for colleges. I think we have a bunch of exciting topics. Uh, and, and also, we're going to have uh, me and Eric Dennis teaming up for some debates on fossil fuels or other topics, if anyone will, will take us on and set up the venue. That I'm really excited about. Eric and I practice a lot in private. He's my main debate practice partner, and he's, he's really good at arguing both sides. Uh, in public, we will only argue the true side, and I think that that will be really great. It'll definitely happen at some point. I hope it's sooner rather than later. If if you're on this, if you're listening to this and think you can set one up, or you're interested in, in finding a partner and debating us, uh, let me know. You can always contact me at alex at industrialprogress.net. That's all for this week. But as I should say again, alex at industrialprogress.net. Any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail? Next week, we'll be back with another great show. Another great topic, another great guest. But until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.